Namaste, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Soul Family Podcast. I am finally free from the voluntary prison that was my 10-day meditation retreat. (laughs) This one was tough and way different than my first retreat in Canada, but I'm happy to have completed it and actually believe I grew a tremendous amount. So just wanted to make a quick episode about my experience, but it's important to know that of course everyone will have their own unique time at a retreat like this. And it also really depends on which center you go to. There are Vipassana centers all around the world, and there's likely one near your city, so it's not something you need to come to India for. Anyways, hope everyone is doing great and staying centered. Hakuna Matata, one tribe, one love, one family. So, it's a 10-day silent meditation retreat where you're not supposed to read, write, talk, make eye contact, or any type of communication. This is in order to have the most serious practice as possible. However, at this retreat in India, the people didn't follow the rules as closely as they did in Canada. In general in India, everywhere I go, people are always looking at me, taking pictures, and trying to start a conversation. So I was excited to go somewhere where I'd have a little break from that. But no. People were as well very intrigued in me, looking at my every move, just curious. And there was this one guy who kept trying to talk to me, and it's like, yo, I don't speak Hindi, nor do I want to talk at this silent retreat. I was actually the only English-speaking male there, so even if I wanted to, there was no one to speak with. Which was kind of concerning, since if I ever had an issue, I couldn't even properly communicate it to the managers. And there's actually one thing I wish I could have asked more of, which, um... Okay, so on like day four, the manager comes up to me as I walk to my bungalow at nighttime. And he's just like, snake, snake. (laughs) I'm like, huh? He's like, snake. So I'm obviously concerned, but really tired. So quickly and cautiously walk back to my room. By the way, it's like a three minute outdoor nature walk from the meditation hall to my room. Then again, the next day, he says, snake, careful. And in my head, I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, how worried should I be here? (laughs) I'm trying to stay calm at this retreat, but keep getting warned about this snake. There were actually so many animals around the area, like geckos, beetles, birds, and frogs. And believe it or not, the snakes weren't the biggest concern. There was a massive monkey issue. Since the center was surrounded by all these trees and wildlife, families of monkeys would be swinging all around and disturbing the area. The baby monkeys are so cute, but the adults are huge, and they can get quite aggressive, so... To try and scare these monkeys away, the workers would throw like dynamite at them. (laughs) And you'd often hear throughout the day some extremely loud explosions because of it, resulting in some pretty scared reactions for me during meditations. Besides this, there was like construction going on and perhaps the biggest distraction of all during meditation was actually the people in the room. The meditation hall is split between men and women, around 80 people total, sitting on mats and pillows in rows. With so many people, Of course, there's bound to be noise like coughing and sneezing, but there was no remorse with people burping and farting, specifically with the eight old Indian men meditating right around me. Like, no fucks given. And then comparing it to my retreat in Canada, where me and the guy meditating next to me apologized to each other after if we were swallowing too loudly. But yeah, it's just a different culture here, and it was all part of the experience. You're not supposed to look over to the female side per se, but I definitely glanced over a few times to see how the girl I knew, who I spoke about in the previous episode, was doing, or if she like quit or something, which is actually not an uncommon thing to do. 
like 10 males dropped out by the end and not sure how many females. But meditating for that long for so many days surely makes you want to run away. There's 10 scheduled hours of meditation each day. Wake up is at 4am with loud gong bells. Breakfast from 6.30 to 7. Um, hot water for showers only available between 6.30 to 7.30am. And there's literally a guy every morning making a fire by hand under each person's water tank. And most mornings I didn't even use the water. <laughs> Can't believe that's someone's job. Um, and lunch is at 11am, which was always super tasty, but was your last meal of the day. So you're doing some serious intermittent fasting. Then there's a discourse at nighttime by the main teacher named Goenka. And these videos are actually awesome and answer most questions you had on the technique throughout the day. And bedtime is like 9, 9.30. But yeah, you're forced to spend a lot of quality time with yourself without escaping to your phone or some sense pleasure. And I think that's actually really important. The relationship you have with yourself is definitely the most important one you have. Wherever you go, that's where you are. If you don't like yourself, who will? If you don't treat yourself with love or with compassion or discipline, then who will? But the thing is, for most of us, we are actually a slave to our brains and our desires, instead of being a master of our own minds, which leads to the actual meditation techniques. So, for the first three days, you practice something called anapana meditation, and then for the seven days after, you practice the actual vipassana technique. The aim of anapana meditation is to sharpen the mind by simply observing your breath and the area around your nostrils, not forcing your breath or controlling it. That would be called pranayama, which is the exact opposite of anapana, which is just observing the natural in and out of the breath. Whether it's a deep breath or a shallow breath makes no difference. Just observe how it is each moment, each breath, <laughs> and do that for three straight days. <laughs> if anyone wants to try this at home, you will quickly realize how little control you have over your own mind. A practice that seems very simple is extremely difficult to do for long stretches of time. The teacher says you should hold your attention on this area for at least one consecutive minute at a time. Just one minute. Seriously, try at home to focus on your breath and nothing but your breath for one minute. When you realize how little control you have over your thoughts, the more one will likely want to learn how to regain control and sharpen it. And one way to do so is through raising your awareness on a small part of the body, so the nose and respiration is perfect. Some people spend a lifetime just practicing anapana meditation, and you really do need to have more mastery over your mind before embarking on vipassana. But in this retreat, you're given three days of it to try and work seriously. And now to the actual Vipassana technique, which I know I can't give a full proper explanation of, but what it basically is, is taking the sharpened awareness from the breath and now observing and scanning the entire body, piece by piece, part by part, starting at the top of the head and working your way down to the tips of the toes. You want to examine each part of your body objectively and just observe whatever body sensation is in that particular area. If it's pain, then it's pain. If it's heat, then it's heat, and just be objective without craving a certain sensation or avoiding another one. But the actual goal is to get your mind to become so aware to the level where you can observe the most subtle sensations on your body. At the smallest molecular level, there are tiny wavelet vibrations constantly coming and going at an unbelievably rapid pace. It's a sensation happening all over the body at all times, but our minds aren't yet sharp enough to acknowledge it. And when you experience this phenomena of things arising and passing at the subatomic level, 
will lead to the most important understanding of this universe, the law that governs everything in the physical and mental planes of existence, the law of nature, the law of impermanence. Just like when you take a step in a river, then take a second step in it, you are actually in a completely different river. All the water molecules that you took your first step in are fully gone. The same is with your body. It's constantly changing. So what this Vipassana technique is supposed to make you understand on an experiential level is this law of constant change, the law of impermanence. It's one thing to understand it on an intellectual level. Like when I say everything passes, of course you understand it on the surface. But to become a fully liberated person, you must understand this law on the experiential level, which they say can only be done by examining your own body sensations. Observing the very tiny wavelets that keep appearing and disappearing in fractions of milliseconds. And once you understand the law of impermanence on the experiential level, then you're no longer attached to things or crave things or fear things because you know on the deepest level that everything is impermanent and thus able to stay more equanimous in your day-to-day -day life. One of the best ways to measure your spiritual growth, no matter what technique you're using, is how equanimous or level-minded you are throughout the day. How much do you react to things, both positively or negatively? How serious do you take things? How serious do you take yourself? Because once you start to meditate and understand the truth of the universe and have a real experiential understanding of this law of impermanence, then there's no more need to worry, to stress, to desire, to attach because now you understand this universal joke and then you can just laugh with it. So next time something bad is happening to you, take a step back and try to observe it for what it is. This too shall pass. 100% guaranteed every time this will pass. Of course, knowing this helps tremendously during bad times, but it's also important to remember in the good times. Knowing the impermanence of the moment can make you enjoy it that much fuller and deeper. So even when I'm in a very painful meditation, surrounded by people farting and dynamite explosions to scare off monkeys, I just remind myself that this too shall pass. There's no point to be anxious or fearful when things are always changing. I believe self-reflection and journaling are other great tools to remind yourself and experience this impermanent state that is our lives. Time just keeps going on. Days turn into months, which turn into years, which turn into death. It's all the beautiful law of nature, so let's enjoy each precious moment, not get so attached to things, and try to love each other to the fullest. So that was quite the ramble, and definitely did not cover everything, but I think we'll leave it there. Thank you for listening. And um, yeah, one thing actually I really wanted to do during the retreat was just give my family a hug. With that much time to myself, it becomes so clear that family is everything. So if you are fortunate to be close to your loved ones, give them some love, give yourself love, and be easy on yourself because this too shall pass. All right, until next time, peace and love. Om, om, om.